ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Overlap. I'm, of course, as always, joined by my friend, Rian, and we've got a special guest today, but we're going to wait a second before we introduce our special guest, because Rian, it's been like, what, a little over a week since we last recorded, and for some reason, I feel like I watched, it's like the weirdest thing, I feel like I watched so much soccer over the weekend, but I watched nothing that was actually like entertaining. And I don't know if that was just a me thing or if that everyone felt that way. But um, yeah, we also had a Thanksgiving holiday and everything. How was your, how was your Thanksgiving, man? How have you been? It was good. It was nice to go home. It was nice to get some food to bring back to my apartment that so I didn't have to cook for the rest of the week. Or at least for the at least didn't have to cook dinner for or buy dinner. Nice. Or more like buy, you don't have to buy dinner for the next <laughs> few days. Um, but yeah, it was, it was nice, nice and wholesome. How about you? Good stuff. Yeah. No, it was, I mean, it was the same for me. Um, small, it was just with my parents and I, but yeah, it was, uh, it was just nice to take like time off work. I think that was like the biggest thing, like taking five days off work was huge. Um, yeah. now the rest of the year is going to be Terrible, but that's a whole other thing. But at least I've got the Champions League and Real Madrid dropping points today, and I've, I've got things to keep me happy. So I'm, I'm all right with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is the first, also, just thrown in the first time for, I've had a Thanksgiving where we didn't eat turkey, we ate lamb chops. So, really? oh, I love yeah. that. I love that. I yeah. think that's a great call. Yeah, my first, I don't know what it was, but my mom's like cooking this Thanksgiving was just like out of this world. Like she always obviously like knocks out of the park, but like this year she just went in and I was like, damn, something happened this year where you all just that took your inside, anger out. All the time inside. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> like something happened. You took your anger out on, on the stuffing or something, but it, yeah, it was fantastic meal, but yeah, back to reality now, basically. Um, but of course we watched a lot of soccer over the weekend and, um, Rian and I usually exchange belligerent text messages over the weekend that if you read our text, make no sense in the context of talking about either the Premier League or La Liga. Uh, for example, this afternoon during the Atletico Bayern game, which we're not going to get to today, but I basically just texted Rian in all caps, Zhao, and, uh, and he knew what it meant. That's, that's basically, if you, if you go through our text conversation the last like three days, that's basically what it's been. But Rian, why don't, why don't we talk about the Premier League to start? Why don't we kick things off going into England as we always do? Let's start off with um, a team that, honestly, I think your Chelsea could have and should have done better against. But let, let's talk about the Tottenham-Chelsea game, which was, of course, the whoa, big whoa, game whoa. of the weekend. <laughs> All right. I think, yeah, I, think I, I, think, I think now is a good time <laughs> to introduce our special guest, Eton. Our friend Eton's on to talk a little bit about Spurs and Chelsea. Um you, you, you killed your own introduction, to be fair, man. But thanks for hopping on. Yes, and- I'm sorry. I couldn't let the slander. <laughs> I couldn't let the slander of Mourinho's men uh, just just go go like that unpunished as a as a Spurs. It was just unreacted to. But uh, well, yeah, well, Chelsea we- Chelsea got what they deserved. Let's just put it that way. So <laughs> so fighting words out of the gate um, from Eton. So <laughs> Rian. What did you what did you make of uh, of Chelsea's performance at the very least? And Eton will of course tear you apart from there, as you can clearly see. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I, I, Eton and I watched this game together on um, this past weekend on Sunday, and a great pleasant 
pleasant uh, viewing experience. Went to this bar in East Village, and it's the first time I've gotten to watch a soccer game in a bar since maybe since Elias and I probably watched a game like eight to nine months ago, or more than twelve. Actually, it has to be more than that now. Yeah, 10, eleven. It was, it was the it was the Madrid uh, derby, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's it's been a while, but um, man, this game for Chelsea Chelsea side. I think any Chelsea fan has to be very encouraged by how Chelsea were able to keep Son and Kane quiet. You know, they combined for just one shot throughout the entire game and season lows in their, both their expected goals and expected assists for each of the players. But it was the game that we expected, I think. I think that Elias and Eitan would also would agree. Kind of expected this was the type of game it was going to be, where Tottenham sat. And again, no criticism of sitting deep like that. I'll I'll have my thoughts on yeah, the style of play, but <laughs> I can't even argue that technically. So it's not false. It's not false. And why I think this is. Maybe I want to hear what Eitan has to say about how he thinks, how he enjoys watching this. Again, no criticisms. Look, I, but look, yeah, I I think it's uh, it's a little reductive to just call it sitting in. Let's let's just call it that. Um, I think just because Mourinho is comfortable dropping Hoiberg and Sissoko into protect the back line and pushing the pushing the fullbacks up, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean sitting in. He is comfortable, and our team finally is comfortable enough to play ugly soccer and stay atop the table, giving up no goals and being ahead of Liverpool. I mean, that we were comfortable with that result going into the bridge, and I'm sure that the Spurs players don't want to play like that every week, and they won't have to, but they're fine with that result. Um, Hoiberg and Sissoko are absolute champions for us every game. Um, I, I think we're... The team right now, they're not going to hold it against Sonny and Harry for that game. I don't think anyone would. It was a tough game. Chances came few and far between. Um, and, I mean, let's just say Harry would have definitely put away Giroud's sitter at the, at the end there. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. At the end of the game, there were chances, I think, for each team that were – Weirdly, give we're just completely gifted. I think like Los Celso had a pretty similar chance where he just he I think he could have played in like Son or someone in um, very late in the game. But, fair, fair, fair point. But uh, I'll throw it to Elias like, and Ethan. You can also hop in on this. But who impresses you the most from this game? Whether it's a player, manager, whatever, who impressed you the most? I mean, for me, it's it's got to be one of two players. Um, no, actually, it's, it's got to be one player, and that was Serge Aurier uh, for me. So I'll, I'll give a massive shout-out to Serge Aurier. I, I feel like any time th- – this is one thing that I have to give Mourinho's Tottenham, um, which is just a weird phrase. But, yes, Mourinho's Tottenham um, credit for, and that was their recovery on the ball. And I, I feel as though, especially in the attacking third, like – Serge Aurier basically played as a winger, not even a wing back. He basically played as a winger for majority of that game. And I think he did a really, really good job in tracking back, especially against the runs of kind of the, you know, Chelsea's deep lying midfielders. And he came 
inside, especially, um, you know, on the defensive transitions a, a lot. And Brino clearly wants to capitalize on his pace and his strength on the width. And I think that's something that Chelsea's fullbacks completely struggle with. I mean, Emerson, Aspilicueta, whoever you throw in there, I think are not going to A, beat Serge Aurier in a foot race. And well, neither does well. Well, I I, I know. I'm, I'm I just saying, I'm just like, saying. Neither those just, guys are playing. Are I, starting. I, I know, but this is a hypothetical because we James, clearly James we don't do any analysis. Yeah, no. Reese James did play well. It's just that I think Serge Aurier covered more ground, and I think he he was in more places than I think I even expected him to be. I, I just thought that his presence was felt the more you know, basically every time that Spurs lost the ball. Um, and, and I was really, I was genuinely really impressed with him. Well, that's uh that's nice to hear as a Spurs fan, Sir Doria getting some love. Um, he's definitely been putting in, I think he's benefited a lot from Mourinho coming in. Um, but I was really impressed with, um, with Joe Roden, with the, the young Welshman. Um, you know, we have Alderweireld out with that, uh, injury, that muscle injury and Rodon's, uh, I don't know if it's Rodin or Rodon, but he's, uh, I thought he looked very comfortable on the ball. Um, which is something we need with next to Dyer back there. Who's really just there for the brute, the brute challenges. Um, he's not the English, one. English beef. I think just a lot of English beef in that British beef. You might even British say, beef. but yeah, Dyer yeah. breeding for Kane. Yeah. They're all, they're all just, <laughs> Big boy, but um, I was I it was I was impressed with him, and uh, I just like watching Indombele play. Um, and Rian and I were confident. Yeah, that, that was mine. He, he just plays, he just plays like uh, like an old Caribbean uncle. You know, he's yeah. got all the moves, got all the hip swivels. He can throw his ass into people. He winds, he winds in the middle of the pitch. He's just it's a whole wind wine party. So. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was a tough, I, I think just the, a take a nice takeaway as a as a Tottenham fan, especially from the back line performing like that, is that is a good point you made, Elias, about um, our reactions in transition because it just shows that we're starting to enjoy the ugly parts of the game. We're really taking pride in being a bunch of cunts as Mourinho wants us to be. Um, and intelligent, intelligent. Means, we should throw it out there. Yeah, yeah, intelligent, intelligent cunt. <laughs> and that's fine. We that's a that's a far cry different of an identity that Spurs are um, morphing into now than they than they've had in the past. Um, and I'm cool with it. I, I was going to say, Eton, like, what do you see that's different about Mourinho that I guess is a positive? Take- I mean, clearly it's a positive takeaway being top of the league, but. Um, that's different between Mourinho and Pochettino. Was it just a, a mentality shift that was needed? Was it that Mourinho-esque, you know, quote-unquote, be a bastard type mentality? Or was it, you know, more footballing fundamentals for, for you? I, so it's a, little, it's a little bit of both in, in that, like, your attitude is only as good as your performance and how you apply it. And Mourinho definitely, definitely has lately and especially with Spurs been been very sound in his defensive preparations in his transitional approach he gets players to want to do the ugly dirty shit in a game to to make the tackle to make the 30 yard inside run after you lose the ball like he 
he gets guys to really buy into the importance of those things. I, like one of, there's a clip uh, in the Amazon documentary about Spurs um, or in the Amazon bit where Maurice just barks off son's head for not running back at the end of a half. Um, with a minute to go, he, he just, he doesn't make the run back to track his runner or they get a chance. Um, and the Reese loses his shit. He might, and he might just be performing. Like, I don't know if, you know, he, he might just be trying to make a point for the team, but he's the captain and that kind of energy. Well, it's uncomfortable and kind of weird to, to be around in a locker room as opposed to like, just kind of accepting the status quo. Um, it's beneficial. It's definitely benefited us. It's, you need it to win soccer games, soccer or football matches. They're, they're hard. You know, you're going to be tested mentally and you need to be able to respond. And if you can respond to Mourinho every day as your coach messing with you and, and making you play tough defensive schemes, then, you know, you'll be ready for prem games. Um, and Poch, I mean, I don't want to discredit Pochettino at all. I think he was, he did a great job for the club. He raised the status of the club, brought in new players, brought in an exciting style of play that made the fans in love with the team and, and gave us better success than we had had. So no, uh, I don't, I don't want to say a bad word about Poch, but he didn't have that same kind of toughness for the team in, in the later years. Yeah. It, I've always been really curious about how much a coach or a manager can really influence a team outside of the quality levels. And I think Mourinho always pushes the on, not the envelope, sorry, pushes those limits. Um, a lot of times, I think uh, another guy you could say that for is Jurgen Klopp, like two, two coaches who push the limits of the talent that they have themselves. And so I'm always so enamored by the intangibles of soccer because it seems, I mean, for me, it's just the way that I think. It's just like, oh, well, personality can't change a team that much. And I think we're just seeing that it can change a team this much. But just back to the style of play that Tottenham's playing in and, and wondering how much different would it be with crowds in there but and how would crowds react to this really um, – to this uh, – Defensive, yes, oh, disciplined, out to, to put it nicely. But you look back at Mourinho's past teams, like his teams that have won titles, going back to all the way back to Porto, basically through all the Chelsea title wins. And the real outlier is the 2012 um, league title with Real Madrid. But outside of that, in every other league title that um, Mourinho has won, his teams have averaged less than two goals a game which is very different from his, from his Madrid team for sure, which won, which had 121 goals in there. Oh, okay. You are comparing but, apples and oranges though. You know that I'm well, yeah, yeah of course. I, Spain it, it, is it's, easier. Spain is easier for Madrid and Barcelona. Are you kidding me? That's the argument that you want to die on? Uh, I knew knew the reaction I was going to get out of him. I'm sorry. Of course. (laughs) Okay. All right. Continue. But to continue, continue, the last team to win the Premier League with less than two, averaging less than two goals a game was Leicester. And we've talked about about how that was a very weird season. Yeah. In soccer, they kind of talked about this 
um, dichotomy of the light versus the dark. Sorry, not this, not Sakonamis. It's the number game, the numbers game. And one of the little studies that they did was the effect of adding ten goals or taking away ten goals from a team's season, and how much would that change their point total or win total? And pretty much found that conceding ten fewer goals reduces your losses more than scoring 10 more goals. And I feel like we always, it's very easy for us to like aesthetically watch the game and be like, Oh, Pep Guardiola's teams play lovely. Jurgen Klopp's team always on the front foot. We lauded the Bayern team from last season because they were so ruthless and their counterattack or sorry, their counter press was so high. And Mm -hmm. It's really easy to have these feelings that we have about Mourinho because the team plays the way it does. And I am not going to sit here and act like I haven't like contributed to that in my own like kind of feelings towards him and the way I talk about him. But I, I think we do have to just, again, stress that I feel like at the end of the day, soccer is a lot of like, tactics are a lot of art. It's just like looking at any sort of art piece and saying, I like this, I don't like this. I don't personally love the style of play that Spurs are playing in, but it doesn't deny that it's extremely effective. And to kind of end this long ramble here, Eitan, as a fan of the team, and as someone, I mean, I've been a fan of Mourinho in the past as, as he coached Chelsea, describe the feeling of watching... Mourinho as your coach and kind of, kind of accepting that this is the style of play, but also like there is a real kind of pride in it. I think as a fan of his team, and that's what I feel like we miss a lot when we talk about him as when he's not your coach, but when he is your coach, there is some sort of pride in watching your team play the way that they play and anger everyone else. So that's, that's an excellent question, uh, first of all. But just as a little background, I mean, for your listeners um, and for y'all, if you don't know, I, I mean, I grew up playing before I played at school um, and college soccer is a whole another discussion. Um, but I, I grew up playing in, a, in an academy system that was um, in South Florida with a lot of Latino um, Caribbean kids in the, in the team. Um, so our, and mostly everybody besides me, it was very short. Um, so our game was always play out of the back, play, keep the ball on the ground. If I played a long ball, I'm a goalkeeper. If I played a long ball, it, it was never to be won. Um, so we always had to play sort of as precise and as pretty and as pep like as possible. And our coach, um, really loved pep, hated Maria. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's, uh, I'm, I'm okay. I, Behind. I mean, I'm a diehard Spurs fan, and the fact that we are first and that folks are talking about us potentially winning, and that's even in, in our minds, is making me, go, making me giddy, making me feel like a child again. Um, so I will put up with whatever style Mourinho chooses to bore us through as long as the results come. Um, really, that's, that's, the end of, that's the end game. Um, and that's a different kind of ultimatum than that Spurs fans – have to deal with it now and are comfortable dealing with than we've had to in the past. I mean, under Pochettino for years, we played very attractive, very pretty soccer. 
or very where we kept the ball, where we had Lamella and Winks on the pitch all the time, um, <laughs> where we had Vertonghen, <laughs> and I don't know, like you know, like these 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 technical players who didn't have the toughness to win Premier League games, Winksy, Vertonghen, I love them, but boy, they just did not have the balls that these other dudes have, like that Hoiberg has. That and if and having the serious serious uh, possibility of winning the league or to be thinking of that and, or just to have that team, you know, the Spurs team is thinking about it in the locker room, even if he doesn't say it, um, it makes the players, it makes the fans willing to put up with whatever. And I mean, another thing, Lloris and our back line are, are world-class. Um, I mean, or maybe not back. Our Loris, Loris, and our front line. Sorry, I didn't mean back line. But our release and our and our forwards are world class. All of them. Um, Kane, Son, Loris, Bale when he's fit. Um, and that you with a good goalkeeper and with good players, you always have a chance. And good attack players, you always have a chance in in games. Um, so that's just exciting uh, as a fan. That's what excites me more. Even if we play really defensive, even if we don't touch the ball. I know that there are going to be some counters and we have the guys that can put them away. Even if they only get three chances in the game, it's on, it's on Harry Lucas Mora when he, when he gets a chance that they, they want to make plays that they've made big plays in the past. So, um, as long as there re- as long as we're still in contention and the results are there, I don't mind. I, I think you basically just described the Mourinho downfall character arc. Like in, in the sense that like everyone is willing to put up with Mourinho's bullshit as long as like the team keeps performing. But the second, like at United, at Chelsea, at Real Madrid, mm-hmm. every single team, like the second, like there's a hint of like poor performances. Everyone's like, oh, we hate the way that this team plays. Like what is Mourinho doing? And like, there's just this upheaval. So be careful what you wish for. That's all I'm saying. I, I agree. It's definitely working for Spurs and the players that they have. But that could be a slippery slope if things don't start to go their way, like maybe after Christmas. It's it's yeah. always it's always yeah. I mean, I, I think that's always there for Mourinho. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I, I think this. I think I think you guys will last the season. I'm not. I've. I'm not ready to to talk much on the title um, aspirations, but. Before we let you go here, Eitan and Elise, I'm going to want something. Uh, actually, Elise, I'll say we'll save this for for uh, when we talk with Jay. We can give our predictions. But Eitan, before you go, North London Derby this weekend. I mean, I I don't think we've ever seen the two teams in two different situations. In well, we've never seen Tottenham in such a superior position going into I think one of these North London derbies. You're quick. Other than that, Thoughts we've going. finished oh. above Arsenal uh, well, yes. every season <laughs> I mean, over the last five years. But okay. <laughs> yes, I mean outside of that, of course. But going to this, the the morale for both sides, I think, couldn't be more polar opposite. So, what are your quick predictions going to this game? And give give us a score. Ooh, ooh, okay. Um, well. Quick predictions. I think um, I do not think we're going to sit in as much as we did against Chelsea. 
I don't think the boys would have it. Um, I, I expect uh, Rodon to play again and to play well. I expect Hoiberg to start. I'd bet my house on it. <laughs> um, as long yeah, as he's, he's, he's playing every yeah yeah no no chance he doesn't. <laughs> as long as he's fit. Um, prediction. I mean, shit, we're gonna win two nil, no problem. It probably should be more, but whatever, we'll take the two, and we'll pack up. They won't. Sn- the Arsenal will get two shots total the whole game and they won't be on target <laughs> i love it i love it right, well thank I you it's on <laughs> it's just it's it's got the bold, it got it's the it bold confidence for me just the blinding confidence in this team i love it <laughs> man well, yeah spurs have what arsenal and then liverpool after this in the premier league so it's going to be it's going to be a tough couple games so this is i think this is the biggest test for them Good luck we'll to, to Spurs. Yeah, good luck, man. You got a you got a tough couple games. Just keep your your asshole clutched. Hey, I'll eat my words. I'll eat, I'll eat my words if uh, after after this run, if uh, if we don't hold up. Oh, I think yeah. Well, you'll you'll have to come back on sometime soon. We'll we'll debrief <laughs> the next few weeks. All right, thanks, Eton. Thanks, Eton. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second part of the podcast. And uh, Rian and I were talking at the break, and we realized that we figured out the name of this pod. It's going to be two parts of the delusion. First part, of course, was Eton talking about Spurs, how they're going to win the league, and how Mourinho is the best thing that's ever happened since sliced bread. And now we have the uh, second part of the delusion coming on to talk about, well, Arsenal and whatever is left of that football club. Our friend Jay, who we've had on a couple of times since we started this podcast, Jay is joining us once again to talk a little bit about Arsenal, their performance at the weekend, or lack thereof, against Wolves, and uh, of course, maybe how they fare in the upcoming North London Derby. Notice I said Derby, not Derby, Rian. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll, nice, we'll see. Nice, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, Jay, thanks so much for, for jumping on. And, uh, I, I hope your mental health is doing okay. Yeah. I mean, look, dude, you're just delaying your own delusions when Messi leaves Barcelona. <laughs> oh, I see. I've accepted that. You don't have to, this isn't some sort of whataboutism that we're going to get into. It's, uh, I've fully accepted my fate. It's just, just a matter of time until you accept yours and, and whatever is left of Arsenal. So, I mean, why, why don't we start off with the obvious, right? What what did you make of Arsenal's performance against Wolves at the weekend? I mean, wh- where is your head at right now? <laughs> uh, I mean, first of all, you got trust the process. I'll start out with that. You got trust the process. Uh, <laughs> secondly, secondly, uh, you know, before we talk about it, just want to say all prayers to Jimenez, who has suffered a terrible injury in the game, um, an injury that's left other players in the past uh, forced into early retirement. So hopefully this isn't the case for him and it's good that he's conscious and um, responsive to treatment. Um, So hopefully everything works out in the coming months with him. Um, But yeah, no, the game was um, possibly one of the most uh, depressing and probably the worst Arsenal game I've ever watched uh, since I've been in the band. 
So really, the the worst ever game that you think you've watched, and, and that's and that's compared to like, I mean, the last month of Emery was pretty dire. I was gonna say the last yeah, two months of Arsene Wenger too. This is, this is reflective of the last month of Emery. I mean, this. I mean, name one thing that went right this game. I don't think you can. <laughs> everything, everything from the from attack. I mean, I won't even mention the midfield uh, to defense, positioning, fluidity, fluidity, passing, um, possession, any sort of attempt on goal. Like, ter- I mean, just all around terrible, all around terrible. Um, there's really no sugarcoating in. There's really no positive that you can get out of this match. Um, it was uh, it's a shit show from the first second uh, to the closing <laughs> to the closing whistle. Yeah, so that's my feelings on the. I mean, this match itself felt not too dissimilar to the Leeds match, but. I feel like this is like a, a more overarching thing because we we can drone on every week, Elias, right, about the lack of creativity, the the fact that it, you know, there are players that should be in the squad, and and we feel like there's not a lot going on up front, the Aubameyang stuff. I mean, all that stuff we could talk about every week, and unfortunately, we're having to in some sense, but. It just feels so much bigger than the players and sometimes the coach as well. But Jay, from your perspective, what is, I mean, what do you believe is the most important issue right now with the club? And that could be from the playing style to the player, uh, certain players themselves, to the coach, to whatever the exact, the management, all of that. Like what, what is, for you, the the biggest issue right now because it the team's not the club as a whole is not working very well together in each uh, level of how it's run. You know, there's no there's not enough cohesion between all of those right now. I f- I feel like, but for you, what do you feel is the most important issue that has to be fixed before to, for for anything to move forward, really? Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I, I agree with, I agree with that overarching analysis. I think I still have my full faith in Arteta. I think the club has invested too much into establishing him as, as the main, as the main coach. Um, you know, we knew going in that he didn't have, he didn't have actual coaching experience. And I think as much as I would, would have expected us to be, in a better place at this point in the season. I still think that expecting us to be performing, frankly, like a Champions League club when we haven't been doing that for the past three years with a coach that has had no real coaching experience before this, um, you know, is an unrealistic expectation. But giving, giving him several more transfer windows where he has the chance to actually build the squad, um, build the squad that he wants, even though, even though the squad today, the squad that exists today is built more or less within the vision that Arteta wanted, 
even though he wasn't able to get certain players this past summer that he wanted to, um, which I think leads into, I think the most glaring issue uh, that plagues the club today is just the lack of creativity. Um, I mean, a smaller issue, yeah, is the player's demeanor. And it seems like no one, no single player um, outside of maybe Gabriel is actually trying out on the pitch. I mean, looking at Aubameyang's like general demeanor, that entire, um, that entire Wolves match was, was like, was, was concerning and, and honestly very depressing to see someone who usually has, um, who usually, who usually seems very excited to play, usually, uh, moving all around the pitch. Um, at le- I mean, he was never a very vocal captain and never one to, you know, sc- scream other players to, you know, pick it up and keep their head in the game, but at least someone that more so showed his captaincy through his actions than through his words. And none of that was there during the Wolves match. Um, but again, the most glaring, the most glaring issue, if I had to pinpoint one, um, is the lack of creativity. I mean, rewatch, I, I don't want to call them highlights, but I guess like, I don't know what better to rewatch Shaka the entire game. And I've been on and off in terms of my support with Shaka. Um, but wow, I mean, that man does this, has no clue how to play a forward pass. No clue. He literally interrupted several attacking chances that we had that match to play a back pass and just completely dissolved any sort of attack we could have possibly had. Um, you know, look at, look at the passing maps and see that the way that, the way that we've been, the way that we are, our position, the way that we played positionally that game was like in a weird, like, U shape with, Jaka basically next to center back, uh, Ceballos or, and Willock, who sh- once again, Willock shouldn't even be playing as a number 10, but Willock literally like hugging Saka, Bellerin being pushed up, literally like hugging Willian and, and Tierney and Tierney also like hugging, like, hugging Saka and Willock too, just playing in like a very tight little three, three man triangle up the field. Um, and whereas I don't, I'm not against having fullbacks push higher up the field. We just lack, we also lack the athleticism in the midfield to make up for, um, on the counter, which showed during the Wolves match, uh, especially probably every single other players is faster than <laughs> any one of our players that plays uh, other than Aubameyang, who wasn't, who again, did not show like he had any sort of pace or any sort of fighting spirit that entire game either. Um, well, but yeah, again, so lack of creativity. You, Sorry, I, you t- yeah. No, no, no. You you touched on two points. That I just wanted to to go deeper on because I think the lack of creativity is a massive point. And Rihanna and I touched on this last week when we talked about Arsenal. I think that's the one of the biggest issues that they have is that they don't have a creative midfielder. I mean, personally, I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie. I thought Danny Ceballos could be that player, um, but he he's not been the player that I think any of us have expected so far. I mean, he's had moments, but he hasn't had consistency. Um, and the other point about Aubameyang after getting, you know, the contract that he rightfully deserved at the time um, and not living up to that continued consistency from last season as well. So, I mean, do you think that there is a solution to the creativity problem? Do you think that Mesut Ozil would have been a solution to that? Do you think that Arsenal need to go out and sign you know, a, a top class, you know, world class creative midfielder, i.e., 
I mean, just going to name a name, Isco, for example, or Real Madrid. But um, w- what's the solution to that then? I mean, yeah, it has to be another signing. Uh, I mean, would, would Ozil have been the perfect temporary solution? Absolutely. Um, I've always been an Ozil fan. Um, I don't think it was right. I, I can I, I can see it both ways. I can I can see, even though I don't necessarily agree, but I can see why the club didn't include him in it, in any in any of the squads, even though I still believe they should have. Uh, and I think it's really goes down to a monetary issue. Um, but based on the midfield we have now, I mean, and based on the injuries, aka party. Um, we, I mean, Ozil, Ozil would have absolutely been an asset to this team at any point this season, even when Partey wasn't injured. Um, just for that, I mean, ju- we just, we just for the spark. I mean, and again, he's not like God's gift to Arsenal. He's not, he's not at all the, you know, the solution to our midfield problem, but until we can actually make the signings that Arteta wants in terms of a creative midfielder, absolutely. We should have had it in the squad. Absolutely. Uh, but it's going to be, a, I mean, it has to be a signing in, in January for that. Um, that's going to at least be again, a temporary solution. And, and, and again, one creative midfielder that that's. Yeah. It's not going to happen. With, it's, yeah. It's yeah. But it, but it could change. It could change. It could change the whole trajectory of this season. We saw what happened last year with, with Bruno Fernandez going to United, a team that was similarly just completely devoid of, creative. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And you look at, it, it, could, it could change United, it. And if you look at Man United, uh, if you look at Man United last season and you look at their first 10 games, you look at Arsenal's first 10 games, um, very similar results and the exact same points. And we're in honestly a very similar situation um, in terms of team mentality and in terms of how they were playing. Um, so no, we'll oh. see. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I don't see us, I don't see any signing that we make being like leading to such like a marquee turnaround like Bruno Fernandez did with Man United. Um, but look, I'm always the optimist when it comes to Arsenal, and I love to be surprised. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll see come January. But yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of problems in the squad, but I think it starts first with uh, buying a midfielder that is able to break lines, make key passes, and actually has some athletic ability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just one, one more thing before we, before we get your quick predictions on the, on the Derby coming up. I, I kind of wonder if there's this kind of feeling like it's great to have a manager or a coach who has a defined plan and defined style and every something that it's very easy to look and say, this team plays this way. This team, uh, my team plays this way. It's something that fans and people who like, analyze the game really like to see in teams is that they have a definitive style. And last year, by the end of the Emery term, his team seemed Arsenal team seemed lost and without any sort of identifiable style, really. Whereas like Arteta's team is just like we said, devoid of creativity, but there's a distinct style of play. And 
they are secure at the back where Emery's was not. And there's a very obvious way that we see how they play and we can point it out every time. But I wonder if there's kind of a, not a drawback, but what happens when that style is very identifiable and just not working? And would we rather, I, this is more philosophical question, I guess. Like, what would you, would you rather have the identifiable style and see it not working and just put faith in that or an, an unidentifiable, an unidentifiable style with really good players and just kind of putting it together where an example for that could be like the Real Madrid team right now with Zidane, but vibes in other words. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the times that's Rangers United too at times, but Jay, what what are your feelings on that? You know how Arsenal are going to play every week. Is it just easier to have faith in a very identifiable um, playing style? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> obviously a hard question to answer. Uh, I'm, I, I'm fine with an identif- I'm fine. I get, I like the style that Arteta tries to play. I just don't think we have the players to make that style work, and the results have shown that. Um, so it gets frustrating week in and week out seeing him try to kind of force something that just isn't there that we just, we just can't fully capitalize on what he wants to do because just the play, the players, the capability of the players just isn't, just doesn't exist. We just, we don't have the, we don't, we don't have the right players for what he wants to do. Um, if I would, I'm, I, I would be fine with that. I'm fine with te- this temporary, like <laughs> this like temporary lack of fluidity in any sort of diet, dynamism if I said that word correctly um, if I knew that you know there was active very active work in the background to make the signings to make the style work and it was very obviously you're never going to get that level of transparency as a fan knowing what's going on uh, in the background and um, with the executives at the club so unless there's some sort of transparency there, knowing that creative midfielders will be signed. Um, we're apparently we're looking for a right-sided center back in January as well, which is, which I guess I agree with now, considering we're going to lose three in the summer and Saliba is probably going to go out on loan come next, uh, come January as well. Um, so I, I mean, I guess to go, I guess to actually answer the question, like I, at this point, probably. I mean, at this point, the thing is that at this point, I don't even think we have the players to do something like what the Don does, where we just play like a, uh, where we switch up the style of play based on the team we're playing. Just because I just don't think that I, I, I just don't think I think some of the players can do that, but as a, as a unit, uh, as an eleven man team, we just don't have, especially especially in the midfield, we just don't have the players to. Even do that right now. Uh, our best formation is probably a three-four-three with what we have, considering while Partey's injured. Um, but looking at their performance and looking at that, we're probably going to be playing with a Jaka Ceballos midfield for the at least six weeks. I don't think. <laughs> 
I don't think Arteta forcing his style on the eleven man on the eleven man that he feels, or him just trying to switch it up for for the teams that we're going to play is going to work. I don't think either is going to work. And I, I, I again, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that looking at you know through Christmas and through January, we'll actually have some sort of success in the Premier League. I'm not really that worried about the Europa League right now, um, but I don't know. I this is probably I'm probably at a point where I'm least optimistic heading into the next several months as an Arsenal fan. Um, just because I don't think, I, I just don't think the current squad we have is, is capable of living up you know, to my or really anyone's expectations for, for this Arsenal team. Um, so, oh, yeah. to your, so I guess to, to answer your question, yeah. uh, what would I prefer in general? I guess I'd prefer having a discernible style, um, even if it means losing on occasion. Um, but in, when applied to this team, I I, I guess I'm, I'm I, yeah, I don't know. Applied to this team, I, all right. Something, well, let's, different, let's... Something, something different has to be done. Let's put it that way. Something different has to be done than what's currently being done. Uh, yeah. Well, well, let's let's look. Let's let's keep in the short term for now. Before we let you go. Quick thoughts going into this, into the North London Derby, and give us a score prediction. Yeah, for sure. Uh, away games always tough. Playing in the toilet bowl, that Spurs called stadium. <laughs> uh, <laughs> obviously, I will. Ne- I mean, I could be depressed out of my mind. I will never predict a loss against Spurs. Uh, I'm gonna go with two one win. I love it. I love it. You want to win. Hopefully players are rejuvenated. They're ready for the North for the NLD. Like this is a big game. This is huge. I'm not sure if our fans allowed for premier league games next. They, um, this is in London. So there might be 2000 fans there potentially. Yeah. Look, if we so. get any sort of, any sort of even one away fan in there already a big boost for the players. So, <laughs> um, two, one win is my prediction. Okay. Obaming finally breaks his uh, his scoring oh, drought and, and scores in open play. <laughs> uh, All right, Ellis. Yeah, second goal. Who knows? I'll say Bellerin. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going <clears throat> easily. I'm going with a, a Spurs win. And I don't think it's going to be close. That's I think it's going to be something like three one. I mean, I'm objective, right? It, it, Arsenal have given me no reason to think that they're going to win this game, and Spurs have given me every reason to believe that they are going to win this game. That's pretty. That's a pretty simple equation. So I'm I'm going with three one Spurs. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt in saying that Arsenal get a crappy 89th minute con- conciliatory goal off of three deflections in the box that piss off Lori. Uh, I'll give you that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> all wow. right. Well, I, I <laughs> crowd. Okay. <laughs> um, I, for me, I was going to say, I, I think these are two teams that really enjoy defending and are very good at it. And I don't think Arsenal will allow themselves to be counterattacked by Tottenham. And I, and I still have my reservations about Tottenham playing against teams that actually sit back. And the, is, I'm, is there enough creativity in the Tottenham team to break down defenses that don't press very high and don't allow space in behind? I'm skeptical of that. So I think this is 
going to be a pretty boring game. I'm going to, I think this is a nil, nil, maybe a one, one, but I, I think this is a draw. But with all that being said, Jay, thank you for coming on and defending the other half of North London. And the well, really being, this is the most real, this is the most measured appearance Jay has made. So, so also props to you on that one, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's it's a rare sight. It's a rare sight. But thank you, Jay, for coming on. Bradford, we will come back. Three zero win, easy. All right. Now, now he's lost it. So this is this is the Jay that we're used to. Oh my God. All right. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, of course. See y'all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the now third part of the podcast where we've gotten rid of all the delusional people. We've uh, completely moved on from that portion. And now it's just Rian and I. We're going to talk purely results, purely what happened from the past weekend, both Liverpool and Manchester United. Rian, let's let's start with Liverpool. Um, I mean, a team that consistently I have my doubts about, and I think you do too, but I mean, you have to put their whole season perspective for a second. I mean, they've had upwards of, I think 12 or 13 players that have been affected either by injury or COVID. Um, and, and this isn't, you know, B team players, it's starting 11 players and they're still fighting for the league and fighting for the champions league all under Jurgen Klopp. So what, I mean, what did you make of their performances past weekend? Um, and, and kind of what are your just generally expectations going forward? Yeah, the, I mean, the, on the game itself, I think Liverpool have a really good reason to feel pretty hard done by. I mean, the the, the offsides things. I mean, I've I think I've gone enough rants on this pod about about my feelings about the rule. Um, but yeah, Liverpool probably should have won that game. On, on the same side, I think Brighton's had a few games where they were really hard done by and, and should have won or gotten points in other games. So it all kinds of comes around. And, and I think even the VAR stuff last year, the first half of the season or so for a fair amount of the last season, Liverpool were pretty lucky on the VAR calls. And now we've seen it turn right around and they're I think they've actually had the most uh, VAR calls go against them this year, this season so far, something like, uh, seven or eight go get take goals away from perfectly balanced perfectly balanced (laughs) exactly but but var stuff aside and and hopefully they hopefully that is figured out sometime in the next year or two who knows but just other than that we're just seeing i mean there's limits to this there's limits to how good this can be for liverpool if they're gonna if guys are gonna get injured every three games then yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult for them to repeat and win the title. I, I'll, I'll say that. I still think they're. I still think the best team in the league. I still think they're my favorites. But if these injuries are going to keep happening at this rate for them, and it most likely won't, but if it keeps happening at this rate, then yeah, it's going to be extremely difficult. And Liverpool are not Real Madrid of like four years ago, where they were just stashing really good young player, <laughs> really good players who could play on any other team in the world. And, and if guys get injured, someone could step in. That's not, 
I mean, that's not the team that they have. And they've built a great core squad. And what happened last year was that not many of them didn't get injured um, for longer than maybe a couple of weeks. And, and now they had their starting center backs out for the year and guys getting hamstring and muscle injuries like every other week, pretty much. So it, it's just unfortunate. It's, it's kind of catching up to them. And if this keeps happening, then yeah, it's going to, then all bets are off. I mean, any Spurs and Chelsea have a great chance. And and I don't want to forget about Manchester city because I mean, they destroyed Burnley again this weekend, but there's always, but if, if Liverpool injuries are going to keep continuing, continuing like this, then the door is open, fully open for, for the other, um, traditional big five, big six clubs. Yeah. I mean, we've heard Jurgen Klopp talk about the schedule, right. And, and how that's affecting the way that not only Liverpool are playing, but every single team in England right now. And to your point, like there's, there is a limit as to how many injuries the team can actually put up with before it just, it, it can't compete consistently over, you know, 30 plus games a season, basically. Um, that that's I think where the frustration is coming from from Premier League teams and Premier League coaches, and I think at the end of the day, the only the only way around that is for Liverpool to rotate. And I think Liverpool are lucky enough to have more skilled players, I would say, than most of the other top Premier League sides. I think I'd say that with maybe a caveat, given that Van Dijk is injured for so long. But for the most part, I mean. Liverpool have a decent squad, maybe not the squad depth that city have or the squad depth that Chelsea have, uh, which is again, why Chelsea are my favorite to win the title still, but um, they again, consistently are married to the idea or, you know, the, the way that Jurgen Klopp wants to play. And I think that it can overcome almost, you know, a certain level of squad depth per se. Um, the idea that everyone is clued into the same idea and the same playing style that, you know, your manager, or your coach has set forth for the last, you know, five years or so at this point. So, yeah, I, I'm not, no one's writing off Liverpool. You can't really write off a team that's in second place. Um, but you have to still be concerned with the, the number of injuries that they've, they've been picking up more so than other teams. And, I mean, the VAR calls against them obviously don't help. Um, but at the same time, like you made the same point about Brighton and their VAR calls. So it's it's a give and take game. It is. It is. And hey, as long as we keep seeing uh, Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp at, at this point is going to fight one of these interviewers. Um, I, it's it's only a matter of time now. But um, yeah, it's just it's unlucky for Liverpool at the moment. It's very unlucky. And you know, we sh- we'll see if things get better for them after the Christmas period, because then, you know, going into this is the worst possible time to have this injuries problems. But um, shall we move on to Manchester United coming back from down two nil to Southampton? Um, Edison Cavani stealing the show, Elias. Edinson Cavani is basically the player that Manchester United and the Glazers thought they were getting when they bought Alexis Sanchez. I don't know if there was a miscommunication in, you know, ethnicity or country of origin. 
um, with, you know, Chilean versus Uruguayan. But yeah, th- this is basically the player that, that Manchester, Manchester United needed and wanted, right? A player to score goals in the most dire situations that has the scoring record and the experience of stepping up when needed, right? A player that can basically cover Martial's ass in, in, in basically the simple terms. Um, and they got that. And I think he's showing his value slowly, right? To, to his credit, by the way, he has not started a game for Manchester United. He has not started a single game, but has still scored three goals for them, which I believe is as many or more goals than Alexis Sanchez actually did for Manchester United. So Yes. Cavani <laughs> stepping up in, you know, the dire situations is very Cavani-esque. And I'm honestly, I'm glad to see he's doing well. Yeah. It, they have a legit number nine up front now, a, a more traditional number nine, really. And what, yeah. Why did you say that with like a, like a hint of, I don't know. I don't, well, I, it's more like, I don't want to insult like Rashford uh, so much, but Rashford, I don't think is like a traditional number nine. So, but yeah, this is, they have a focal point and I know people talk about it a lot on, on Twitter at least, but and definitely just looking at um, United's last few games where Cavani has come on his movements unreal that I mean, even at his age, he, he's just always really active and yeah, he's, I think he'll score a decent amount for United. I, my reservations on the, not on signing him, but maybe signing a getting a striker of his age over maybe another midfielder or maybe you know, um, another center back. Erling, <laughs> Holland, cough, aggressive uh, cough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it it's uh, he's going to be really crucial for them in some games. I. I I'm really interested to see how he helps them in terms of, I think, adding a bit more creativity. And I think he does add a bit. His link-up play is better than, or at least in these games that he's played, his link-up play has been better than than I think Martial has been recently. And like I said, since he's more of a traditional number nine, it's a different look than Rashford playing up front. Um, or through the middle up front. So it, I think Cavani is going to be really helpful for United. Will he solve their ultimate problems? I'm not sure about that. I mean, you know, Ibrahimovic did wonderful for the one season that he was at United and didn't really solve their long-term problems. Um, it's a stopgap for sure. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we shall see in the, in the uh, weeks to come. As far as the rest of the league goes, Elias, shall we just take a little look at the table right now? The table on which Chelsea will end up at the top by uh, by May? Yeah, sure. Oh, let's, let's take a look. <laughs> and you know this is me not gassing up Rion because I would, I would never do that. But yes, let's share with me where everyone in the top six is right now in the Premier League. I know, it, I mean, it basically goes Spurs, Liverpool, Chelsea. But beyond that, I mean, Manchester City are still not in the picture yet. Um, yeah. yeah, fourth place, Leicester's still holding in the top four, even though they lost to Fulham on Monday. Huge win for Fulham. I mean, they, they finally got a penalty correct. They finally scored a penalty 
<laughs> and that took them out of the relegation zone. Yeah, too. yeah, huge win, huge win for Fulham. Um, Lester be it'll be very interesting to see them for the rest of the season because they played really well against the bigger sides where they just really sat in deep, and, and so we'll see how how they progress for the rest of the season. But I still think that's a, a top five, top six contending team. But past that, like I said earlier, Manchester City. For the fourth straight time playing against Burnley, they beat them 5 0. So it's just like, I mean, it's just not I, I don't know for if Burnley we learned, I don't know if we learn anything of City from this game because they destroy them every time. And, and, no, no, we know, didn't. Yeah, I mean, you, there's a balance of English beef that you can have on the field. And if you have too much, you're, a Pep Guardiola team will break you. So um, uh, next, I want to look at Everton and Leeds. Also played this past weekend, and Leeds finally, finally won a game where they actually just made a goal out of a very almost nothing chance. A game, <laughs> they their finishing was again average at best throughout this game against Everton, but Rafinha really impressed me. I think a few players on on Leeds impress me every week. It's like Luke Ayling. Um, Rafinha for sure came over from Wren and oh man, I'm blanking on the third. Oh, Calvin Phillips. Calvin Phillips also, yeah, those guys have been great for less for Leeds. And so they got a big win against Everton, who for the first time this season lost a game with Richarlison, Calvert Lewin, and Thomas Rodriguez all playing at the same time. So, and you didn't create as many chances as. Leads, but this game was really open. It was a really fun one nil. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I would normally add something to that, but you covered all of my points shockingly. Um, that was my your last point was actually going to be my point in that it was a really open game and basically back and forth, very very similar to parts of the Real Sociedad Villarreal game. But I'm I'm not going to bring La Liga into this. But it was there are some <laughs> shades of similarities there and. Um, you know, mid table teams becoming very good top, top table, top six teams, or at least could be. Um, but yes, Everton, unfortunately have just fallen from grace with the lack of squad depth that they've had. I think that's something that we mentioned about a month ago. Um, and it's still, it's still a problem for them. Like Carlo Ancelotti can't really solve for the lack of bodies that he yeah. has. That's lost, the biggest thing. Look, look at the lost for the next two months. Yep. For ankle surgery. He's there most creative player outside of James Rodriguez. And, and I think had more assists than, than James Rodriguez as well. Big for um, Calvert-Lewin. Who's going to play those crosses in for him? Like, that's Alan, Alan, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we will see. That's, that's a big question, but yeah, they're I, down I, to eighth, down to eighth now. Down yeah. 16 points, Everton. Wow. A real fall from grace. That is a shame. Well, your bet wouldn't have worked out if you made it right before the Liverpool game. So, well, at least they put it into a 401k or something. But anyway, I think that covers all the uh, Premier League matches for this past weekend. Of course, the upcoming North London, I'll say it, Derby, the North London oh, Derby gosh. coming up this weekend. Um, and of course, we will be watching that very closely and coming back with a recap next week. So thank you guys, as always, for listening. Apologize for going a little bit longer, but when you have two delusional people on the pod, that's what happens. So thank you guys for listening as always, and we'll be back soon. Thanks guys.